You're about to listen to a previously recorded podcast valued by growth junkies everywhere. Enjoy. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Kent, and I'm joined by my friend Ben. Hi. Ben's here. Yep. And we are coming back to you to talk about another relevant subject to uh, growth junkieism. We'll make up that word. That's a new way of talking about it. Yeah, I like that. Growth junkieism. Is it morphing from being yeah. a growth junkie to growth junkieism? Well, I'm just kind of changing the format. It's growth junkies are into <laughs> growth junkieism. Okay. How about that? We'll, we'll define it and then get it in the urban dictionary first. That's right. So okay. we're going to help you at growth junkies out there. Um, join us in the journey of going deeper into issues that are relevant to personal development and growth. So he just defined growth junkieism. That's it. Okay. I did. Perfect. So love it. growth junkies. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get excited here about a subject called humanity, which doesn't sound all that exciting <laughs> when I say it, but it comes right out of our four dimensions book, and uh, we've been wanting to talk about this for a while. We think it's really relevant in today's environment because um, humanity, you know, human beings, um, we think that we're distinct and special and unique. Mm -hmm. And that's because of our worldview, Ben, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of where we come from, but not everybody does think that humanity is special. And so we want to talk a bit about what, what is it that makes human beings different, unique, exceptional, special, or is there anything that separates us from, let's say, you know, dogs and dolphins, dolphins, house cats, like what's distinct. I, I, I was sharing with Ben before we started recording this episode that, um, I ran into a term several years ago called speciesism, hmm. which is the term that human beings think they're special and they shouldn't. So you think you're better than, so like you're better than, you know, let's say dolphin species mm-hmm. or plant species for that matter. Yeah. And so to, to be speciesistic is to believe that somehow human beings are worth more. And I would say if that's true, I mean, if that makes me a speciesistic person, then yeah, I guess I am because I believe that human beings are different and right. distinct and special. And there's a reason why. And so we want to talk on this episode about human beings, why men and women are different and unique and set apart from all other animals. We mm. are not just advanced animals. We are not just, you know, big pieces of meat you know, with mm-hmm. brains, mm-hmm. there's something distinct about human beings that we want to talk about here. And the reason we want to talk about this is because when we look at our view of humanity, how we view humanity affects how we view ourselves and how we treat others. So there's, there's a real purpose behind this. We have to start with a frame of reference. Like, where do we begin? You know, yeah. when we talk about human beings, where do we go and sort of where do we build out our worldview of human beings? So, so growth junkies, we're going to talk about that here. We're going to um, kind of dig into this whole idea of human beings and this concept called the image of God. Now, you may or may not have heard of that that phrase. Um, there's a Latin version of it. It's called Imago Dei. And the Imago Dei is a concept you will hear about in philosophy or theology. You'll hear about it in churches. Um, you'll hear about it in Bible studies and whatnot. And it comes up uh, because... It comes up in Genesis. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it goes back to the creation event uh, when God creates, you know, Adam and Eve, and it says that he creates them in his image. He makes them, quote, image bearers. Mm-hmm. He said, let us make man in our image, in our own likeness. And so what that means is that God made people, presuming you believe that there's a God and presuming that he made people, mm-hmm. if you have that worldview, that he instilled in us something unique and special, his image that makes us like him in some way. And of course, there's a lot of you know side conversations we can have about what, what are those things that we share with God? Now, there's, there's attributes, and normally, like theologians break them into two groups, communicable attributes and incommunicable mm-hmm. attributes. Things that God shares with us about himself, like his character, his emotion, his intelligence, his creativity, his rationality. Yeah. Those are all things in history that have been pulled apart and, and expressed that we share those qualities with God. There are other things we don't share with him, like we can't be everywhere at once. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have all power. We're limited as finite creatures in how we think and how we act and what we can mm-hmm. do. But of course, we believe that you know, God is infinite, so he can do all those things. So the point being, God shares certain things with us and that's what it means to bear his image. And I think one of the things that you're bringing up that's important for our listener, listeners is that we're speaking of this from the Christian creation narrative place, mm-hmm. right? Like as believers who uh, understand the reality of a God, like we would profess, uh, we make sense of creation from that place, right? This is a collision that every person faces, though, and that's what I want mm-hmm. our listeners to understand is Every person at some point in their life is probably going to ask themselves the question, how did all this happen? Yeah. How did we get here? And the truth of it is every person has to come up with an answer for that. Mm -hmm. It's either an accident or it's not. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit. Mm -hmm. You have to decide where all this comes from. Yep. And we we will all be confronted with that reality at some point. It's why it's such a critical conversation because... What you end up believing when you answer that question dictates so much about how you think about life. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we have to talk about it, because everyone's saying, uh, like, in, in, in light of racial tensions right now, mm. this is one of the fundamental questions is, why does it matter? Exactly. If everything's an accident, the strongest should win, and who cares? Right. Like, this is stuff that it sounds maybe a bit offensive or harsh to say that as directly as I just said it. But the truth is, if there's no there's no making sense of it through a moral compass or something bigger than us, then it really doesn't matter anyway. Right. The, the social need, contract includes some, it doesn't include others. That's right. And so you're talking about survival of the fittest. Right. You know, quite honestly, if that's the worldview that we embrace, well, then quite honestly, this is the way it's supposed to happen, that certain, you know, species progress and evolve and the weaker ones die out and the stronger ones survive. And that's that's just pure evolution is what that is. Yeah. But if you if you don't buy that worldview and you believe that there is an intelligent designer behind it all and a maker, a creator, and you have the worldview that perhaps he did make everything, well, then there is a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. There is something to go back to. And so if the frame of reference is God, then you can go back to his word, which is the Bible, and you can sort of look at Genesis and say, okay, so what is unique about human beings? Mm-hmm. And and it's very clear in Genesis that there is something unique that makes human beings different, and dare I say, even a higher level than mm-hmm. animals 
and certainly plants. Now, I, I spent a lot of time in my doctorate program in philosophy, and one of the things that we discovered that <laughs> kind of shocked me was that the concept of a soul. Hmm. And human beings, you know, we believe have souls. Um, it, it was argued by my strong Christian philosopher teacher that animals and plants have souls too, hmm. but they're not immortal souls. So without getting into the weeds on this. Yeah, that's a weeds conversation <laughs> is, for sure. You know, human souls are qualitatively different because they're redeemable. They're redeemable souls. And so the concept there is that that God told us that he cares about us on a level that he doesn't care about plants and animals. Not that he doesn't love creatures, all the good things that he has made, but there's some sort of a, um, a value and priority places on human beings. So much so that as the gospel goes, he sent his son to die to rescue them, not animals and plants, but human beings yeah. because they're made in his image. So it says something about how much God seems to love us and value us that sets us apart. So this is a really important frame of reference. And so we're going to go forward in this episode, presuming that we have this sort of shared worldview that there is a God and that he made us and that we have his imago Dei, his image in us and that it matters. Now, here's the thing I have to say, though, we have to qualify when it comes to the image of God. We have to um, handle the fact that in Genesis, it's it describes sort of a corruption that happens of the image of God, that there is this original sin. And that Adam and Eve, you know, rebel and they sin against God. And as a result, we see played out in Scripture this tarnishing, this corrupting of the image of God. And there's been this age-old debate about how corrupted and how tarnished has it become. So depending on your theological persuasion, there are people that think that the image of God has just been radically decimated, that it's barely even there anymore. Um, now, what everyone agrees on is that it's there. Because in the New Testament, there are several references, like in First um, Corinthians and James, that suggests the image of God is still present. We still mm -hmm. have it. But the question is, how much do we have? Mm -hmm. So some people think it's very little. Others believe it was just barely touched. So, And then in the middle are all the range of views. <laughs> now, my view on this is that it was corrupted. It was tarnished. Right. And, and what that means, though, is not that it was damaged or destroyed, but that it's misused. Yeah. It's been misused. That right. human beings still have all those same qualities that God has given, but now we don't use them for good. We use them for evil. And I think we have evidence of that all around us. So to the point here, a lot of um, the damage that's being done around the world with violence and with hate and with corruption and, and all the things that really dismay us, um, I would argue, I would say that that's, that's the result of a misuse of human power, yeah. human creativity, human um, glory that God has bestowed on us. It doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it isn't good in its, you know, essential form, but it's just, it can be misused and misappropriated. Well, and so, there's, and there's a verse in Galatians where Paul says, you know, in your freedom, because this is part of the, the issue is we all have freedom and the ability to choose. Mm -hmm. And he says to the believers, he says, in your freedom, do not choose to abuse one another. To hurt one another. He's, he, he recognizes the reality that we have choices that we can make. Oh. And you could use that God-given gift of freedom, that beautiful thing, mm -hmm. to help or to hurt. Yeah. And we see it hurt all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so God has empowered us. It says in Genesis that he gave us his image and then called us, he gave us dominion mm -hmm. over everything. So that also suggests that there's a priority mm -hmm. placed not just upon the human being, but the role that we play in the world. We are... 
sort of top of the food chain, so to speak, among all these, you know, creatures. And so how do we handle that responsibility is the question. Yeah. To have the image of God suggests that we have a, a really big responsibility. And so we can misuse that responsibility and become abusive, or we can handle it well to serve, yeah. you know? And I think, gosh, even this whole thing with, you know, uh, law enforcement and African-American community, the, the reality is we, we all know in our heart of hearts that most I'd say most police officers are in for good reasons and they're good people. But like in every profession, there might be people who abuse the power they've been given. Yeah. Many of them use their power to protect and serve others, perhaps to punish and destroy, but that doesn't tarnish all of them. You know what I mean? And so the reality is that even in our own work, our line of work, and if you're in law enforcement every day, you're going to make this decision, yeah. how I'm going to use the power that's been delegated to me to protect and serve people or to punish and destroy them. Yeah, and the sad part is we don't often get a balanced view of it. We don't often wow. see the good that's happening, mm -hmm. not just in this area, but in so many areas in our world. Yeah. Right, you just turn the news on and watch it, and it just tends to have this negative mm -hmm. kind of caustic bent of just uh, what we experience in a fallen, broken world. Right. You know, I was driving on the highway the other day to a location. I look over to my left, and I see two sheriffs stopped helping someone change a tire. Yeah. Right? That's a very small kind of minuscule thing that mm. that needed to be done. Yep. And something they don't normally address, mm -hmm. but they're doing it. Yeah. We don't hear about stuff like well, that. Well, that's not being filmed. You know what I mean? So the, right. the, the reality, the, the point of this whole thing is that um, we sort of feel in our bones yeah. that we're, we are empowered. We are given a dignity and a value and a purpose that is above and beyond. And, and we feel a responsibility, at least we should feel a responsibility to use it for good. You know, so the, the danger is that we look at the world and we see a lot of the misuse, yeah. you know, but it doesn't negate the fact that we have it. So, so let's just deal with the fact that we've been given this image of God. We've been empowered, you know, with dominion, so to speak. And so why does it matter? Like, why does this matter and how does it relate to our world? And so I, I want to share, Ben, I want to share six things, six implications about what it means to bear the image of God and why it matters in this world. And so... You know, I don't think I often say this, but hey, growth junkies, take some notes. Take some notes on this one. If you're <laughs> if you're not driving, not if you're driving, don't take notes. But if you're sitting somewhere and you want to re-listen to this episode, write this stuff down because I think it's really fundamental. This is our frame of reference as to why we don't misuse the power and the and the glory and the influence that we've been delegated. What what's good about it? So let's yeah, preferably <laughs> take the notes on the big blank page behind the session yes. in your copy of the four dimensions of human health. If you go to the four dimensions, we are actually <laughs> right. in uh, part three, number six. We've provided you a place to take as many notes as you wish. Yeah, look at all that blank space, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Looking at it right now. Exactly. So do it there. But here are six things. So let me kind of lay these out and Ben and I will kind of comment on the, them as we go. But the first one is that um, the image of God is important because it really... Uh, provides the context for community. Mm. So we talk a lot about the word community, about being in community with other people, you know, having relationships and we sort of wonder why, like what's, what is it about us that we sort of need other people and they need us? Mm -hmm. What do we give each other in community that is better, you know? Mm. And so, you know, you look at cities around the world and people sort of, you know, clump up together and there's something in every human being that desires to have a community a community of people that are they're like and are like them. So what is it about us that's deep inside that drives us into community? And I would say the image of God does. 
And here's why. The image of God is actually more fully realized in the context of community. Mm -hmm. There's a sense that we sort of, and I hate to be Jerry Maguire here, but... (laughs) you know, completing each other. Oh boy. Yeah. You, you went there. Did you? <laughs> I, I know. But what he was saying there, he's, he's talking about like romance. I, uh, yeah. Let's de-romanticize that. Okay. But let's just say we say that about our community. We yeah. complete each other. And I'll tell you what, I think honestly, if you stop and think about it, we know that's true that we complete one another, that we don't have everything and that we need something from others. Mm-hmm. Other people have strengths that we don't have, you know, and we have strengths that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And the reality is when we come together, there's something beautiful that happens. There's a completion that occurs. And you look at scripture and actually it's suggested that like man by himself is the image of God, but man and woman in marriage is the greater manifestation of God's image. Why? Here's why. Because God distributes his qualities into men and women. Yep. And they're only fully illustrated when they come together. Yep. So that oneness is, is a better demonstration and revelation of who God is. So now multiply that into lots of people. The more people you put together, the more of God image is displayed. Sort of like, um, remember that, gosh, I must be getting old here, but we're <laughs> light bright. Oh, the light bright. Light bright. Remember yes. the light bright? I mean, I think I they still one. make them, but I don't know if they do, but they're amazing. That and the Etch-A-Sketch, right? Those were the oh, two great kid toys. That, that kept me occupied on many, many a trip. <laughs> But the light bright was, you know, the more pegs you put in, the more you can sort of see, you know, the image that you're making. And so the more the pegs, the more you can see it. And they had patterns. Yes. Right. So there was a pattern you used to put the pegs in to make the picture. Exactly. But the picture comes alive when you see all those pegs in the board. Yeah. And so to me, it's a great illustration and, and for those of you that are maybe under the age of 40 and don't know what I'm talking about, Google Light Bright. <laughs> Light Bright. And you'll see what I'm talking you about. You can still get one, I bet. Can you? Yeah, I think they still make I'd them. love to get one of those. But they that's just a great illustration of how the image of God is 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 more purposefully and beautifully portrayed in the context of a community of people. Well, I want to make a quick comment because you talked about the attributes of God, incommunicable and communicable, mm-hmm. right? So there are these attributes that God shares with us. There's multiple places in scripture where it talks about reflecting the character of the attributes of God, particularly mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, that we reflect God's glory. So when we step into those relationships with one another, we're stepping into a place where we reflect God's attributes. Mm-hmm. That's why maturity is so important, especially in the context of growth junkieism. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're calling yeah, it? Yeah, we're going to stick with that. Yeah. So we, as we mature and grow, we reflect more of God's attributes, more of his character, and that happens in relationship. Right. But also there's a, a verse, I believe I'm digging a little bit here, First John 4, I believe, where it talks about that God's love only comes to full expression and made complete in us yeah. when we're together. Yeah. Like that's not something that happens just separate if you're by yourself with God. Absolutely. And it's even not fully realized. Scripture is actually, it's interesting. If you look at the, if you can look at the Greek and the Hebrew, a lot of scripture is plural. It's not like we, we personalize it and individualize it. Like this is all about me. This is all about you. But in reality, look at the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, God dealt with a, a, a community of people, Israel. In fact, he only spoke directly to Moses, and I think one time he spoke to Aaron. He never spoke directly to all the people of Israel. So the reality is that a lot of this, it is communal. You know, the communal nature of the Old Testament and the New Testament's the church. And so it's us. It's us and we more than it is I and you. So 
So to the point, the image of God is morally, more fully realized and expressed in the context of a community of people. Let me get to number two here. Number two is that the image of God shows us that people are indeed set apart from all other creatures. Why? Simply this. Other creatures don't bear the image of God. Even angels. So like even like this whole discussion of angels in the Bible and demons and all that. Angels seem to be really interested in us. Like we see in scripture, they're always looking in on what we're doing and curious. And in some ways are sent to serve humanity. Mm-hmm. And so what that suggests to us is that number one, that on, on the scale of priority in God's economy, mm-hmm. human beings are even higher than angels. Now that's remarkable. I mean, there's even uh, old Testament scriptures in the Psalms, like yeah. Psalm eight yeah. that suggests that He's made us just a little lower than him, yeah. you know, and higher than angels. And and the word there is Elohim, which is the word for God. So like it's God, you know, the triune God, and then it's us. And then angels and other creatures, et cetera, et cetera. So th- I don't say all that to, to puff us up and make us arrogant and prideful and certainly <laughs> not abusive. But the reality is that it separates human beings from all other creatures. So the idea of speciesism doesn't apply to human beings because we are distinct. And we are special and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you have to start with that to even yeah. begin to have a healthy, and we'll talk about this later, self-image. Well, and, huh. and to, if you fully realize it, it does the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you arrogant and puffed up. It actually creates great humility mm. because you realize the responsibility that you have mm-hmm. and and the role that you play. Yeah. And it's important to do that and do it appropriately. Right. Right. If you, if you take it the other direction, then you really don't understand why God created mankind. Mm-hmm. And the role that we play in this world. Yeah, the word there um, that uh, theologians use is vice regents, mm. that we are sort of his, his under kings, so to speak, mm-hmm. that he has deployed to carry out his work. And of course, God is not an abuse of God. God loves. Right. And so as his vice regents, his representatives in the world, our call is to steward creation, not abuse it, not yeah. harm it. And that, that verse I mentioned earlier, I thought it'd be important for to read it because of how it's how it's phrased. Mm-hmm. And it's First uh, John 4, 12. It says, no one ha- has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us mm-hmm. and his love is brought to full expression in us. Yeah. And I believe it's plural. Yeah. Us. It's us. It's people. And then that expression goes out into how we serve and care for everything around us. And that's that's kind of really where the collision happens, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How we care for each other, how we care for the planet, how we care for uh, various cities, cleanliness, Mm -hmm. non-cleanliness. I mean, we could take this so many different directions, how we care for animals. Right. Like there's just so many facets to it. Yeah, there is. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to move forward here. We'll get into these more later, but... Um, I think I, I mentioned this just a second ago, but it is number three, that the image of God provides the basis for a healthy self-image. So it matters because it is the foundation upon which we have a healthy self-image. And, and we need to spend a whole episode on this, and we will. But the concept of a healthy or appropriate self-image, why am I valuable? Why do I matter? Why am I here? Where am I going? All those questions, those fundamental questions are answered in bearing the image of God. And, and if you believe that you're created for a purpose and that you bear the image of God and that he sees you and has a plan for you and you have a part in the future, then that gives value. That mm-hmm. gives meaning. That gives purpose. It helps my self-image. So you have a frame of reference. 
And that's coincidentally, that's, that's why self-esteem doesn't work either, because self-esteem doesn't have a frame of reference. It's just telling yourself good words mm-hmm. and hoping you feel better about yourself. But you only can psych yourself up so much. Right. The reality is you need to go to something that's foundational and say, why do I matter? This is why. Tells me where I come from, why I'm here, and where I'm going, the fundamental questions of life. Mm-hmm. Number four, the image of God mandates that people are God's stewards of his creation. <laughs> Which we talked about. We hit that too. Yeah. And that probably bears another episode. But the reality <laughs> is that, you know, as his vice regents, as those deployed on his behalf, we have a purpose in the world. So you you look out at the, you know, we, we, we live here in Idaho, and we think this is a beautiful country. We love it here. I, I look out at the mountains and I go... Wow, how cool it is that I get to venture up into those mountains. I get to ski them in the summer and hike them in, or ski them in the winter, <laughs> hike them in the summer. Maybe you could ski them this summer. Maybe. Get some of those sand skis. It's, just, it's still sure. snowing up there. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I look at that and I'm like, it's it's to be climbed, it's to be had, it's to be enjoyed. And, and the fact that God has given us that to care for and to enjoy. Mm-hmm. is so meaningful. And then I, I just look at life and my life's work and what I get to do, including this. And I feel like it all has meaning that this is about really taming creation mm-hmm. and putting it to good use and bringing God glory. So this idea of stewardship, looking at creation as a stewardship, it gives me a purpose. I am here to sort of farm the world. I'm here to cultivate, you know, the world and to to build cities and to make art and to mm-hmm. make music and to go on adventure, that all of this is part of my stewardship. I feel like that gives a real foundational purpose for why I'm here. Yeah, and the whole dimension that we have in the four dimensions of strength is really focused on that. Mm-hmm. How do you use your strength or your power and influence to serve in an appropriate way? We have two previous episodes on vocation that talk about the reality of calling and what that really looks like Mm -hmm. and how we we find our place in all of it. And so this isn't just a kind of a minuscule side issue. This is a whole major category, yeah. right, of how we move into the world and how we're shaped in our design to do that, right? Absolutely. I think we need to have, have a purpose. Uh, I was just teaching my class this week over at the Biblical Study Center, and it was on um, this, this idea of of having a purpose in creation, you mm. know, and how it matters to have a, a reason to get up in the morning, you know, and to be delegated something, you know, tell me what to do. And so we've been given that here's what you're supposed to do as opposed to invent something, manifest something. No, we're told go into the creation and build, yeah. create. It's called the cultural mandate. Right. So number five, um, the image of God proves, and this is where it gets a little bit sticky, but incredibly important right now. The image of God proves that men and women and all races are created equal. And that needs to be said, you know, um, in this discussion on racial tension and what we see is, you know, racism and bigotry and all the fallout of that in the grand scale around the world right now Mm -hmm. is that um, at least in Christian circles, the discussion goes back to the Imago Dei, the image of God. Mm -hmm. Why do we view other people? No matter what color, no matter how much money they have, no matter their cultural status, no matter where they live, doesn't matter. If they're a human being, they matter. Mm -hmm. And we respect and honor and love those human beings. Why? Because we're all made in the image of God. And it begins with recognizing that they bear the image as much as I do. And you have to start by saying, I bear the image of God and I matter. And when I realize I matter, it affects how I view others. They matter too. So you have to look with the eyes of God and look on people and stop trying to be better than everybody else. 
So there's this, we talked about the misuse and abuse of the image of God. This is one of those. The misuse and abuse is the desire to constantly be better than somebody else, better than another race, better than another gender. And that's never been God's intention. In fact, in the very beginning, God desired that we would absolutely mm-hmm. um, be on the same place, you know, in the same position before him. And we see at the very end of the Bible, that's exactly where we end. Mm-hmm. All nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages gathered mm-hmm. in glory, yep. equal before the, you know, before right. God. And so that's God's desire. And we have abused and misappropriated this and mistreated and it's ugly and it's awful. It's embarrassing. But the reality is that we believe in the equality of men and women and races because they're all made in the image of God. And we need to toe that line. don't yeah. we? And in a previous episode, we talked about the scriptures as being, uh, one of the, if not the greatest collection of non-discriminatory literature ever created. Yeah. And most people don't understand that about the Bible and they would never Mm -hmm. view it through that lens because of how it's been used in our world. So evidence of that being Galatians chapter three, verse 28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And I think the one that's important to point out there mm-hmm. is that first one, Jew or Gentile. Because back in that time, it was Jews and everybody else. Yep. So then it, that statement includes all races. Yeah. And what Paul's saying is, is there's no longer this delineation. Mm-hmm. You're one in Christ Jesus. Live that way. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. Is it to is to live it out. <laughs> well, because again, we abuse. Um, we, we, we can't help but want to assert ourselves. And people in their most selfish moments want to be better than, better than others. And that's not the gospel. It's not the way of God. And so we come back to the image of God, the Imago Dei, as the foundation as to why we treat other human beings with dignity and respect. So that leads into the last one. Number six, if you're taking notes, is that the image of God requires us to respect all human life. Now, why is that important? Because it's how we treat one another. It actually says in James that when you curse, I mean, you you slander, you Mm -hmm. attack, you hurt a human being. You attack God. That's a direct assault on God. I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. The reality is if that's true, and so if you believe the Bible speaks the truth, then that would be true. It says in James 3, 9, Mm -hmm. that if you harm, you attack, you slander a person, Mm -hmm. you hurt them in any way, you're hurting God. You might as well be slapping God in the face. And that really puts things in context, that you are actually attacking God. Because it's, it, it's, it's sort of like as a parent, I have three children, you know, you got three children, two mm-hmm, men. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that if anybody were to attack my child, they're attacking me. Mm-hmm. I feel it personally. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my flesh. This is my DNA. These are my children. Mm-hmm. And so if God who presents himself as father and presents us as his children, mm-hmm. you know, how do you think he feels when his children are attacked? Right. And it doesn't matter if it's attacked by another child. If one of my children attacks one of his brothers and sisters, I'm going to defend that sister who's being attacked or that brother, I'll, whatever it takes. So I take personal offense, anybody attacking my child. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that if God presented his father, loves his children. And for us to attack and to harm and to curse is a violation and direct assault on God himself. Yeah. And to think he's not going to take vengeance on that. So here's the thing. Anybody out there who who wants to be a racist or wants to be a misogynist, mm-hmm. you know, an abuser. Mm-hmm. If you if you think that's okay, realize God's coming after you. 
God's coming after <laughs> Whether you. Whether you believe it or Whether not. Whether you believe it or not, yeah. there will be an accounting and he's going to, he's going to come after you. You don't get away with that because you're attacking him personally. Right. So I love the fact that it makes me feel comforted by the fact that there's justice and that a holy God who loves people will not allow us to treat one another that way without some sort of justice applied. Yeah. And there's just one last thing I want to yeah. say, because as we, as we talk about these issues, this kind of circles back to where we started, mm-hmm. how we think about them is critical. And philosophically, you're free to decide what you want to think in a sense, right? And, and the interesting thing is if you take the approach that, you're in, that this is all an accident, if you really want to know what you believe, you'll know that when an accident happens to you. Yeah. And here's what I mean by that. Like you don't ever hear stories of people jumping in front of vehicles or buses or whatever because a deer is in the way or a cow or something like that. And by the way, if you hit a cow in Idaho, you have to pay for it. It's yes, just do. one of those things here, yep. you know, but if it's a human or something like that, we start to realize and see what we actually believe when those things show up. And this is probably one of the biggest problems. Like we people believe all kinds of things. And, and they could sit in a room and talk about it. They could think about it whenever they're by themselves. But where it really hits the road is when it becomes real. Yeah. Then you find out what you really believe. Yep. And this is something that I think doesn't really get addressed. We, can't, we can no longer allow ourselves to do an illogical philosophical dance because it's harming people. And if you care about the world and you care about people mm-hmm. as a growth junkie, you will think about the way you think about things. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's one of our main mottos is that we want people to think about what they think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, we hope that we've done that today. Honestly, that's been the whole intention of this episode is to sort of turn the wheels, you know, maybe you get you to think a little bit, challenge you uh, to contemplate, you know, uh, how you feel about yourself, how you feel about other human beings, how you feel about the human race. So we hope this has been helpful, Growth Junkies, um, as we try to get you to... Um, embrace junkieism, as we've called it here. And uh, we invite you to follow along with us in this book we've been working through called The Four Dimensions of Human Health, which you can get on Amazon and you can track with us. There is a, uh, a portion in the book on humanity on this subject with more information you can look at. And you can also take notes in there. So uh, visit us at loveandtransformation.org. You can get in touch with us there as well. We love your feedback, your comments. Uh, Also love your donations. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization at the Love and Transformation Institute. So if you believe in what we're trying to do here, we'd love your support. Anyway, great for you joined us today. Look forward to our next conversation on the Growth Junkies.